Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma to parents who were way too young to be parenting. My mother was only 18 and my brother had already been born ahead of me. So uh, my grandparents helped to raise me actually. And when I was eight years old, someone sent me to vacation Bible school. Can you believe it? Way back then they still had vacation Bible school. Sequoia Hills Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I don't know who the teacher was. I don't remember her name. I think I had a certificate somewhere along the line. But um, I know she has a great reward. And uh, so I raised my hand when they asked who, who wants Jesus to be their friend. And uh, from that time on, I always knew that Jesus was my friend. And um, kept me through many trials and a lot of pain, a lot of heartache growing up with, with divorced parents. But uh, when I was 19, I married this wonderful man here and became his helpmate. And he has become my protector and provider. And um, then we have three children, a son and two daughters. We have 11 grandchildren. And we have one great-granddaughter with two great-granddaughters on the way. So we have a full house. Our quiver is full. Unfortunately, we don't get to see them all the time because some of them live in Florida. But uh, God is good. What a, what a great morning. I, I feel like my sermon's been preached. But isn't that wonderful how God confirms? He just confirms. And, you know, I struggled with this a little bit because um, <clears throat> I'm learning new things. Can you believe it? At my age, I could learn new things, a new lens, a new way of looking at um, old things, a new way of looking at the scripture without condemnation and without shame. So um, praise the Lord. Praise God for that. Um, so Nancy talked about um, Pentecost last week, and I want to just share a little bit um, how we get that word. Pentecost means uh, 50, first of all. And so as I've read scripture there in Acts 2.1, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and I always wonder, what does that mean, fully come? What, day of Pentecost is fully come? What does that mean? Did they start at six in the morning and at nine o'clock at night it had fully come? But it has to do with the Old Testament feasts. And so it's the Feast of Weeks, and so Pentecost is actually the day after the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks includes Passover, um, the Holy Bread, and the waving of the, the wheat, the sheave offerings. And it, it's a wonderful study if you ever, you know, get some books on that. So it's seven days in a week, seven weeks, that's 49. And the next day is 50. So when the disciples were gathered together, in that upper room, that was the end of their 50 days, their seven holy weeks that they had celebrated. Now, get this, God is all about celebration. You see that in the Old Testament. 
He's not some old, dour, sourpuss that's just trying to catch you in every wrong move you make. God is a God that loves celebration. He loves festivities. And so the Israelites were commanded to celebrate. And so the day of Pentecost, that was the end of that. And then I want to skip to, I'll come back to to Pentecost a little bit later. I want to skip to, um, you can put that up, Leviticus 11.44. Let me get that in this. This is a newer translation. Now, anytime you see uh, Leviticus, you know that it's all about uh, setting up the tabernacle. It's all about the, the regulations and the rules and all of the service instruments that had to be purified and they had to be made holy. So let me see, 1144, let me find that here. For I am the Lord your God. You must be holy as I the Lord am holy. You think that's how God said it? Maybe. So we see in here that um, a little bit before that, in verse 41, it says, All small animals that scurry along the ground are detestable, and you must never eat them. This includes all animals that slither along on their bellies, as well as those with four legs and those with many feet. All such animals that scurry along the ground are detestable, and you must never eat them. So this tells us that um, those animals to God are unclean. Part of why they're unclean is because the children of Israel had just come out of Egypt, right? And they had been in Egypt for 400 years, and the scripture tells us that they had even forgotten their language. You see, they had adopted the gods, the language, the culture of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians worshipped snakes. They ate snakes. They ate all kinds of animals that were not, they were not good. They, first of all, they, they were not um, nutritious for them and carried a lot of disease. So when God tells us to be holy as he is holy, the Old Testament way of holiness was all about the outward all about the outward washings, all about the dress, all about the days, the holy days that were kept. Isn't that sometimes how we think about being holy? We do. We think, well, I, you know, I, I can't attain to holiness because God is up there and he's so great and he's so awesome and he's so pure. And, and yet, we see even here in the Old Testament, where God wanted to bring his people close. He wanted to bring them near. He didn't want them to be out there without his presence. We see that as they left Egypt and went around the mountain, we see that his presence, we see his presence on the mountain there. So Old Testament words for holy um, means a sacred place, a temple, a person, a saint, utensils, nations, or priests. But the New Testament means sacred, clean, dedicated, hallowed, pious, religious, godly, merciful, pure, morally blameless, divine character, sacred. That's kind of a tall order for us, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't feel that way. 
from the moment I get up till I go to bed. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. You know, oh, I'm a failure, this and this and that. So all of the Old Testament mandates, ceremonial washings, had to do with external. Let's turn then to Hebrews 9. And I know you can't tell that I'm a teacher. I love the word. I love to dig out things in the New and Old Testament to tell us how we're supposed to be and how much God loves us. I always have a hard time finding Hebrews. I don't have those cute little tabs. Okay, so Hebrews 9. And we start in verse 9. So he's talking about the Old Testament and all of the washings and the ceremonies. And he says, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. The present time, today. For the gifts and sacrifices that priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience. Anybody in here have a conscience? (laughs) We all do, don't we? was not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them, for that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. I'm glad I'm in the New Testament. I'm so glad I'm in the New Testament. They, they called the Hebrew religion a bloody religion because of all of the sacrifices, like slaying of the animals, the turtle doves, the, the goats, the rams, the, the lambs, the, the cows. And then let's go to verse 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ, will purify our consciences, there's that word again, our conscience, from sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. So the first covenant is gone away. Jesus died representing the Father God, who initiated that old covenant, because a covenant is not broken until the person dies. Now, Jesus is representing the new covenant as the new man offering to us a place with him so that now God has made a way that we can draw near. How many of you felt drawn near this morning as we worshiped? Oh, I did. Beautiful, wonderful worship. Thank you, Vic, and your team. I don't know all your names, but thank you so much. And and we're so pleased to have this couple here that came from Fairbanks, right? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for sending them to us. Yes, let's honor who needs to be honored. Old Testament priests could go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt, but only once a year. And they would present blood in a basin from, from the cows, from the sacrifices, and they would pour it on the mercy seat All of these things were a type and a shadow representing what is real and true in heaven. 
I can't wait to get there and see all of that. Amen? So, but Jesus went into the heavenly holy of holies. Jesus died. He was in the tomb. He was brought to life again, but he went into hell and spent three days and nights. Then he came out of hell and showed himself. And he, he, they said, he said, don't touch me yet because I have to go to my father. Why did he have to go to his father? Why could he not be touched? Because he had the sacrifice of his own blood. If they had touched him, he would have been defiled. So he took his own blood into the heavenly mercy seat and put it there as a sacrifice, not just one, or not just many, many times, like in the Old Testament, but the scripture tells us once and for all. Only once and for all. If I try to make another sacrifice, it's null and void because Jesus did it once and for all. That only needed to be once because he was the new man now of a new creation of which we are part of. Old things are gone away. Behold, I make all things new, he says. So once and for all, he presented us. Jesus did not only die for us. Okay, listen. He died as us. We were with him. Representative with him. So he, because we were part, mankind was part of the old creation. So that old creation died. Now the new creation is born. So what if the Lord was not saying, be holy as I am holy? What if he was saying, be holy, be holy, because I'm holy, and I can't bring you into my presence if you're not holy, because God cannot set his eyes on anything that is evil or not, not pure, not holy. Um, he told Moses, he said, no man has seen my face and lived. God is a holy God. God is pure. But we, because of Christ now, see, have gained access to the Father. When I was 25 years old, I, I had had my third child, and I had spiraled down into a deep, deep, dark depression. And I was at the point of uh, taking my own life. The devil had convinced me that my family would be better off without me. Talk about a shame consciousness. You know, I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt lonely. I felt abandoned. And so I pondered all of this for weeks. And, you know, it was, it was part of the chemical thing that goes on after you deliver a baby and the, the hormones and all of that. Women understand that, men don't. <laughs> they only wish she'd get better. But I went into my bedroom one evening, and I just got down on the floor. And all I knew to do was to call out to the Jesus of my childhood. That's all I knew to do. I had been attending a church for years that... Um, demanded that you go once a week and confess your sins to a priest, all the dirty little sordid details, and then they gave you a list of prayers to pray and scriptures to look up and bowing and, you know. But it didn't make me feel better because I had this thing going on up here that told me I wasn't good enough. 
that, that shame-based mentality, that guilty conscience. And so that night, a wonderful thing happened as I was there on the floor crying out to God. And I said, God, I said, I don't even want to live anymore. Just take my life. <laughs> Meaning, kill me. You know, I, I just wanted to die. And a wonderful thing happened. The room was filled with the presence of God. Suddenly, suddenly, it, it was, whether it was in my mind, in my spirit, or real in the room, I don't know, but I will never forget it. And a voice spoke to me in, in my conscience, not, you know, not loud on a loudspeaker, and it said, you are mine. And it was not Jesus. It was the Father God. You see, he was calling me. He was saying, be holy. I will, I will purify you. I'm the one. Jesus is the one. My son gave that sacrifice for you. You can come into my presence. Your earthly father abandoned you. Situations and circumstances, you never had a home. But you have a home with me. You are mine. So be holy. It's not a command, it's not a, it's not a condemnation. It's an invitation for us to come and be holy, to be able to touch the hem of his garment, to be able to look into his face, to be able to have that feeling, that physical, natural feeling that he wants us to have. If he, if, you know, if it was just having a God, Jason and I go to India, we go to Uganda, we go, various places, you see all these little idols all over the sides of the road, little temples with all of these hideous looking figures, but they can't come near. They can't come near. Only the priests in that place can go near, you see. But our God is not like that. He wants us to come near. He wants us to have that koinonia fellowship with him, that, that fellowship that surpasses all earthly things. How much time do I have? Okay. <laughs> so God sees us who we are in him. He doesn't see us as um, wicked. Now I'm talking about after you come to know Jesus and you're born again and you have become part of that new man. He sees us as his child. You know, I, I see you parents here with the little ones know, picking them up and loving them, and um, Vic's older two children, they're not afraid to come to daddy, no matter what daddy's doing. They're not afraid. They just, they just throw all um, rules and regulations out the window, and daddy, you know, Abba, Abba, Father, that's how God wants us to be. So he sees us as we are becoming in him, because when we learn this, then we say, okay, well, if I'm pure and holy, how come I fudged on the truth? <laughs> how come I, you know, change that six to a zero on the IRS report or whatever? You know, why, why did I, you know, why did I look at that man and, you know, or woman? Or, you know, why do I have all of this? We don't have a sin nature anymore because we're born again. We're new creatures. But we have habits in our mind 
that have been established, that we have strongholds, roots in our, in our mind from our upbringing, from the culture that we live in, from years that we were not serving God, and now we are serving God, and we've got to play catch up with Him. So we don't become a new creature by changing our behavior, because we can't. If that were true, if we could change our behavior in order to get to God, the Israelites would have been able to do that back here in the Old Testament. But they couldn't, so God had to have them do physical washings. He died so that you may live. Jesus is the evidence that the old you is dead. And he became sin for us. Hebrews 7.26 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. Think about that. Jesus wasn't just acquainted with other people that did sin. When he was hanging there on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because all of the sin of the world was laid upon him, and the Father God could not look at that old sinful creation. So he had to go into the grave, but the Father's power resurrected him brought him to life again so that he could live, we, we could live with him and in him. Hebrews 3, 1, he calls us holy brethren. I challenge you to read through the New Testament and highlight every place that you see you are accepted in the beloved. Holy brethren, I greet you, the church. All of these things, you are the righteousness in God through Christ Jesus, it's, it'll, it'll be a good trip for you to take in there. You'll come out saying, wow, I think God loves me. I, I, think, God, I think God cares for me even though I, you know, I, I erred. We all, we err because we have not come unto the scripture, the old King James calls it perfection, but that perfection means maturity. It means adulthood, see? We're not, Nancy was talking about, you know, revival coming. It's going to take a mature church that doesn't put condemnation on sinners, invites them in, shows them, has a team of musicians that can go forth ahead and open the curtain and part the curtains so that the presence of God is there for us to enter in. Amen? The, the world is tired of condemnation. We don't, they don't even know what truth is. These last three months, what? Put the mask on, take the mask off, put the mask on. No, the mask, no good. No, now the mask is dirty. No, we don't know. All of this that we're being told is not, it's not truth. And, you know, talking about the world, um, I just want to say there's a lot of anger towards China right now because we've been told, oh, this came from China and all, in, all these stories. But the church in China is on fire. The real church of God is on fire in China. And the dragon over there has tried to snuff it out They've tried to legalize a certain governmental kind of church. 
but the church of Jesus Christ. The living God is powerful and mighty in China. It is a, it is a dragon ready to go forth, amen? And, um, you know, we've, we've always kind of thought, I don't know, in, in our day when we were coming to know the things of God, that America may have to go underground. It may happen. But Satan can't snuff out the church. It only makes the church stronger. If we have to divide up and meet in churches, um, a little side note, and I was telling Mark about this last night, I, I was able to partake of a, a Zoom conference with Naomi Dowdy. Um, she is an apostle in Singapore. She's, she's American, but she's been over there for so many years, um, 30 years, I think. She has a church of about 5,000 people. But she was talking about the, the new normal, Nothing's going to be normal, people. Nothing is going to be normal. And we're going to have to adjust and find ways to reach the unchurched, the unloved, the unrighteous, the unholy. But she was talking about how pastors and the, pa the pastoral uh, staff of churches, we have to realize that now there are three churches, the church in the building, and the church in home meetings, remember when home meetings were really popular? And the church online. And I wanted to add another church to that, and that is the street church. Because there are those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They are thirsting to know that there is a God who loves them, cares for them, will provide for them, but they won't come to a building. They will never come to a building. And I know street pastors, and that's what they call themselves. They're street pastors. They don't have a building. They're out there on the street with all of those thousands of homeless youth and veterans, and they're ministering. We, we know of a, a family in New York City. They have a, they have a food wagon, or food bus, and they hand out sandwiches. They go every day. They hand out coffee and sandwiches, and the teams are walking the streets. You know them. Walking the streets, and um, it's a street church. You know, some of them take their guitars, and they just sit there and sing, and, and the, the homeless people come. They're drawn because of the love. That's a church. So the church is going to take on different flavors and different looks. Okay, I better get back to my sermon here. <laughs> so in the old in the old man what we call the old man or you may hear us say the flesh the old nature there is always that sin consciousness and therefore that makes us vulnerable to temptation see because if we listen to that then then we're drawn away by our own lusts the bible says but good news, Ezekiel 36, 25, he promised to give us a new heart and a new mind. That comes with the new birth. Now we are able to, to uh, understand the concepts of salvation. Now we're able to have the love of God in our hearts. Now we're able to believe that grace is really grace. So... That brings us back to Pentecost. What happened on that day? When the day of Pentecost was 
fully come. The Passover celebration had happened. The unleavened bread they had partaken of. They had put the blood upon their doorposts and lentils symbolically um, as to what happened back in Egypt. And then they were waiting. Jesus told them to wait, didn't he? Wait until you have power. They didn't know what he was talking about. See, the apostles had already received a token of the Spirit because before Jesus sent them out to minister, he breathed on them. He breathed his Spirit on them. So to me, that's a type of salvation, a type of, okay, we believe you're, you're everything here. You're God. You're... Jesus had already asked them, who do men say I am? Well, who do you say I am? You see? But it was only a token. So when we're born again, we have that token. We have that spirit of God that quickens us, makes us alive, um, causes us to be born again in the new creation. But now this is something new on the day of Pentecost. This is a greater filling to overflowing of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, the power, the dunamis that comes and fills. I mean, I was up in my bedroom one night and I had read some of these scriptures and there's a little scripture in Psalm that says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And I sat on my bed and I said, okay God, I want you to fill it. I want you to fill my heart and fill my mind and fill my mouth. And he did. You know, it wasn't a big church service. There wasn't people, you know, praying and shouting over me. The Holy Spirit just came. And I knew something was different. I knew something had happened because I wasn't the same. You can ask my husband. He'll give you a good testimony. I was changed. I was different. So the Holy Spirit comes then and fills us, and he enables us to walk the Christ life. He enables to walk without prejudice. He enables us to walk um, without anger. He enables us to walk in truth without telling little white lies. I never got that one. A lie's a lie, isn't it, whether it's white or black, <laughs> red or green or purple. So anyway, so the Holy Spirit came and it dwelled within the, the apostles and he did not leave. He did not leave the apostles. He did not leave the earth. He is now the third, uh, the representative of the Father God, of the Father's Son and all that is in the heavenlies, of the administration. That's what I call the Holy Spirit, the administrator. I say, Holy Spirit, you're the administrator of healing. Heal that person. Wow. So he doesn't leave. He's with us 24-7, 365 days a year. And even on that extra leap year day, he's there. So we learn to walk in him and through him and with him, with, with God, with the Father God, because of the teaching and the training of the Holy Spirit. You know, they didn't have this. The disciples didn't have this. They had a Torah in the, in the synagogue, but it wasn't something that they carried around with them. So all they knew was Old Testament and what they, you know, would pick up um, as they went to um, 
synagogue school. Every male went to synagogue school. And they'd have to memorize. They'd have to memorize like um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I think the five, the Pentateuch. So, um, so the Holy Spirit was the one who taught them. And the Holy Spirit teaches us now. Praise God, we have the advantage of scriptures, but don't let scriptures cause you to drift into legalism. It's so easy to do, see? But when we understand grace, there's no room for legalism. When we understand that it's all God, it's all about him, and we walk in him and through him and with him, the Holy Spirit empowering us, his life, his righteousness, his holiness, his grace, his faith, his character, and the power belong to us. The abundance of grace together with the gift of righteousness will elevate you to a higher place of relationship with him. That's a Graham Cook statement. Grace is not an argument. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You know, we go to India a lot, and it's, it's a... It's a very different, interesting place with, with their false religions. And people say, aren't you afraid to go there? No, because I know where sin abounds. The grace of God is there abounding to bring souls to him and to take care of us. You cannot add to grace, nor can you take away from grace. It's grace plus nothing, as my friend Jack says. Grace plus nothing. Jesus did it all. And, and if we try to add to that with rules and regulations, it becomes a false religion. Grace plus nothing. Hebrews 4.16 says, Run to the throne of grace in our time of need. Okay, Lord, I missed the mark. I yelled at my kid today. I kicked the dog. Whatever it is. I didn't take that overchange back. Oh, the other day, I have to tell you this. We went, we went to lunch, my husband and I, over at Turkey Red. They have wonderful food over there. I like it. And um, so we, they have all these cookies, you know, in the jars up by the checkout stand and my husband loves cookies and I love cookies and my daughter and granddaughter were here and so I, I got a couple bags of cookies and I gave the gal, it was $36, I gave her 40 and I stood there with my hand out and she looked at me and she says, you want change? And I said, well, yeah, I want change for my $36. Put it in my pocket and walked out. Well, later as we, we got home, Jason said, you, you, you didn't tip her. I thought, what? What do you mean I didn't tip her? He said, you didn't tip her. Well, so I went back and gave her a tip the next day because I wanted to bless her. I didn't have to, but I wanted to be gracious to her. There wasn't a law that said I had to tip her, but I wanted to be gracious. I wanted to show God's grace to her and to bless her. So my grace is sufficient, the Lord told Paul. So we run, we run to the throne of grace. We don't hang our heads in shame. Somebody talked about shame this morning. We don't hang our heads in shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of. 
we come to God. We ask forgiveness. We lay down our soul life. We lay down our wants, our desires, because I'm telling you, what he gives you back is far greater than what you could ever have imagined with, with, what, you know, with our demands. Resisting the flesh without being engaged with the Holy Spirit is always a struggle. It's always a struggle. If the Holy Spirit is not involved in our becoming clean and purified, it's just a struggle. It, be, it becomes so hard. So it is the Holy Spirit in us that helps us behave like holy brethren. See, positionally we are. Positionally we are righteous. We are seated with Christ at the, at the right hand of the Father. Positionally we are because we are in him and he's in us. But our minds have to catch up with that. Our minds have to recognize that and accept that and act upon that. Because we are a new creation, the Adamic sin nature cannot keep us in bondage. Jesus died to set us free. We don't have a sin nature any longer, but we do have a sin habit. We are holy because he says we are. That's how he looks at us. He looks at us through the veil of Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't see and I know I'm, I'm getting out there, and if it bothers you, just put it on a shelf. Study the scriptures yourself, as I have. But he looks at us as his children. No condemnation. He doesn't, you stupid idiot, you should have done that. You should have done, no. He, he says, be holy. Be holy as I'm holy. Amen. So we're holy because he sees us that way. We were with him on the cross, in the grave, in hell, resurrection, and in the ascension, all the way to the throne, to sit with the heavenly Father, to rule and reign now. You know, the Bible calls us kings and priests. Have you ever read that? He calls me. He calls you. We are kings and priests in the earth to do his business. That's why we're here. You see, if he wanted to just rapture us out so that we escape all the nasty stuff going on here, he would have done it the minute we got saved. But we have a job to do. We have work to do for him, establishing the kingdom here on earth. The, the kingdom, Jesus brought the kingdom. Now we walk in it, we display that. You know, we show that to others. We draw them and bring them in. I'll give you some scriptures. Uh, I don't have them on the, on the board um, in the computer there, but I'll just give them to you. Romans 15, 16, if you're writing anything down. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That, that is so hard sometimes for me to realize and to accept that. Ephesians 2.21, we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple. Know ye not that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Ghost? You see, the Holy Spirit cannot be with evil. 
So how can we come into the presence of God if we're not made pure and holy? It's just not, it's just not there. Colossians 1, 20 through 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself. Now, not in the rapture, not later in heaven, not after you die and leave this earth, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But don't drift away. Don't drift away. That's our choice, see? Drifting away or staying close. That's our choice. Colossians 3.12, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 2 Timothy 1.9, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. See, this is how I like to think of it. There was Adam. Adam sinned. He denied who he was in God, right? And then all of that history in the Tower of Babel and the, the Israelites and the major minor prophets and all that. And then comes Jesus... In, in God's heart of mind of love, that now is all wiped out, and he takes us back to the garden. It's not a physical garden, but it's a spiritual garden. He turns graves into gardens. Amen? So, you know, guys, if, if you get frustrated with your wife redecorating, it's just because she's trying to get back to the garden. So... <clears throat> You know, I like flowered shirts, pretty clothes. I'm just trying to get back to that beautiful garden with all the flowers in it. God, God calls us back to a beautiful dwelling place with him. We get trapped and caught up in what we see, what we hear, what others do to us. You know, our impatience, our frustrations. Amen. So Hebrews 3, 1, and so dear, the King James says, holy brethren. That's what God calls us, holy. <clears throat> so I want to leave with you this, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Do I, do I have that one? <clears throat> In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision, generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop there, there's that word perfection. Those who don't come unto perfection, unto the fullness and stature of Christ, of who he is and, and how he thinks, those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. There's no room for shame in our lives as Christians. And I just wanted to say if... 
If you have been suffering under a shame-based mentality for whatever reason, for whatever sins that you committed or were committed against you, you know, whatever sins may have been committed against you, there is help and there is hope. And I would love to pray with you and break that shame off of you so that you can walk free in the newness and the love of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.